Hello everyone, welcome to Narcissism Recovery Podcast, produced by the Magnolia Healing Center. I'm your host, Yitz Epstein. In this podcast, we will be delving into topics related to narcissistic abuse, codependency, childhood wounds, childhood trauma, mental illness, and all things narcissism. The purpose of this podcast is to bring widespread awareness and healing to the global epidemic of narcissism and codependency. It is my hopes that with this podcast, we can collectively create an environment of health and healing for you, the individual, and for the world at large. Let's begin. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Today, we're discussing healing traumatic memories. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking uh, about traumatic memories. We're going to talk about how they keep us stuck. And we're going to discuss how to relieve ourselves of the grip that traumatic memories have on our lives so we can let them go, so we can release them, so we can let go of the past. And we're going to discuss how to set ourselves free from these traumatic memories to allow us to allow to live more present in the moment and to live more peaceful and uh, fulfilling lives. So to begin, the only true connection between ourselves and our traumatic past are the memories of our trauma. So in reality, the trauma and this is not to diminish them, uh, but ultimately in today, in the present moment, they only really exist in our minds, in our memory. And what connects us to those traumatic memories is our emotional connection to them as well as the meaning we create about them. Uh, In other words, our relationship to them. So in life, we may feel stuck. We may feel like we can't move on. Uh, We ultimately, these memories might feel like uh, they're not letting us go. They're not letting us uh, uh, release them. They're not really, we're not disconnected from them. We're not detached from them. So And in many ways, we may feel stuck in the way we relate to them because when we get activated, when when we do get flashed back and reminded of these experiences that that made us feel intense pain or overwhelm or shame, we feel helpless to change our reaction uh, whenever we're, let's say, like I mentioned, reminded, uh, whenever we visualize those experiences, whenever we do have a shameful or, or overwhelming memory. Now, the great news is that we have the ability, we have the power to renegotiate how we relate to our traumatic memories. And when we change our relationship to them, we can uh, truly and sustainably alter the past and the way we relate to it, to those memories, memories that haunt us and that keep us in a feedback loop of fear and shame. So traumatic memories are particularly troublesome in that they keep us stuck in primitive ways of operating. They continuously haunt us and remind us of times when we were helpless, hopeless, and uh, when we were shamed. And we spend exhaustive amounts of energy, uh, our time, inner resources, uh, our mental space repressing and and trying to suppress and uh, soothe the pain of these memories, which ultimately steals vital resources from our day-to-day life, from our present moment experience. And this really robs us of our uh, precious resources and our ability to to be in the moment and ultimately be there for ourselves, meet our needs in the present day, and to show up to life authentically. Uh, so until we do the healing work, until we really work with these memories and, and heal those traumatic memories and set ourselves free, we're going to be victims. We're going to be helpless to truly change our life sustainably. So I'm going to bring some insights here from a wonderful article, which I'm actually going to share below as well in the description section. Uh, this is from eggshelltherapy.com. The title of the article is Tr- uh, Childhood Trauma Splitting and Complex Trauma. The article says like this. Uh, the title of this section of the article is The Power of Our Memories. It says, every day we absorb information from the outside world through our five senses. As adults, we automatically connect the day-to-day information coming our way with what is already in our system in order to make sense of what is going on in front of us. For instance, right now you are reading these words and you're linking the words you are reading to the knowledge about English grammar, vocabulary, syntax that was previously stored in your memory network. 
In other words, your memories are the basis for your current perception and how you respond to people and events in your life is a large degree based on your past experiences. So in psychology, the relationship between conscious and unconscious memories is illustrated as an iceberg with the majority of our memories remaining buried in the unconscious below the waterline. Your current attitudes, emotions, and sensations are not simply reactions to a current event, but are also manifestations of physiological information stored in your memory. Now, everything that has ever happened to you was recorded in a memory, even if you are not able to consciously recall it all. It says, according to the adaptive information processing model, our brains have a processing system that is naturally geared toward integrating and healing. When uninterrupted, it has the ability to link up useful and restorative memories with the difficult ones to help us maintain emotional equilibrium. However, when we come across a particularly difficult or traumatic situation that overwhelms us, the brain's adaptive processing is disrupted. The distressing incident will then get stored in our minds in a way that is frozen in time. It becomes a standalone piece of information that is disconnected from other parts of our memory network. We may not be consciously aware of it or remember it. Often, our negative behaviors and uncontrollable feelings are a result of this dysfunctionally held information. In other words, when we have an experience that gets frozen in time, right? We dissociate or we disconnect from an experience because it's overwhelming. We're going to have a traumatic memory that's not integrated. We're going to have a part of ourselves that's sort of stuck in that time capsule, in that memory. So unless we do go back and connect with that part of ourself and integrate it, we're going to have a piece of information, right? A standalone memory that's frozen in time. And just because we're repressing it or just because it's in the unconscious, that does not mean that it's not negatively impacting our life. So the article continues and says like this, it says that during the first six years of life, we live in what is called a delta theta brainwave state. Before we are able to think rationally or to express ourselves, all the experiences that we have, good, bad, and ugly, are recorded through the reasoning level of a child. Now this is particularly problematic when a memory is negative because the original distressing situation will be stored in the brain in its original form with the visceral reactions and logical reasoning of a child's mind. For instance, even when nothing objectively disastrous may be happening, if a five-year-old we felt unloved or rejected by the world, this memory remains with us with all the helplessness, hopelessness, and fear of a five-year-old child. So when you go through an emotional trauma, even let's say a small one that seems irrelevant, but to you it's distressing, uh, your higher rational thinking is going to be disconnected. When you are in shock, your brain essentially dissociates because it cannot handle it, so it disconnects from it, and then it locks up that incident and all the associated feelings in a sort of a, a jaw or a metaphorical uh, you know, uh, chest and then throws, you know, throw the key in the ocean so we can disconnect it from it and it gets stored in your memory bank. So in other words, we remain stuck because that piece of information, that traumatic experience is stored in isolation, unintegrated with the larger system, and therefore it's unable to link up with newer, more useful and adaptive information that would promote healing. And a practical example of this is when we get triggered and then we start to act out like a five-year-old, we start thinking like a five-year-old. When this happens, essentially, we are now being pulled back into that random piece of information that's not integrated to that traumatic memory. And then all the reactions and the reenactments are, are occurring as if that experience was happening today. So in essence, that memory is in control now. We haven't necessarily renegotiated or, uh, or changed the relationship we have to that memory. And as a result, that memory, in a sense, is controlling us. 
So in other words, we can't think our way into healing and we must work to uncover those deeply repressed memories that are leading to current day dysfunctions that sort of have a mind of its own. And whenever we get flashback or whenever we get shown those memories or we ultimately slip back into that space, into that, into that time capsule, and then, uh, and then we're stuck. So in essence, as long as we have those memories that are repressed, that are unhealed, then we are in essence controlled by them. So our rational mind in some ways gets in the way because we're trying to think our way out of it. We're trying to figure out why we feel this way. We're trying to figure out what, what's going on here. But in, in essence, that memory is so, is so intense, so powerful that we immediately kind of get pulled back into it and then ultimately we're controlled by it. So true healing has to do with sort of not letting your thinking logical mind take over, allowing yourself to almost get out of your head, right? And allowing the memory to come into our conscious awareness, develop non-reactivity, right? And being present with that relationship, with that, uh, with that memory, and then working with it in a way that we don't uh, try to fight it or run away from it or soothe, but ultimately work with it and resolve it so it doesn't continue to wreak havoc on our lives, on our day-to-day lives and our relationships. So now let's talk about how to heal traumatic memories. I'm gonna read some insights from a, from a really phenomenal article. Uh, this one is from realworldtherapy.com and the article is uh, titled, How Do We Heal Traumatic Memories? I'm gonna share this article in the description section below as well. So the article says like this, exposure therapies only seem to inhibit a learned fear temporarily. So there's always a chance that fear could get triggered again in stressful situations or after a period of time has passed, a phenomenon known as spontaneous recovery. So it's describing that there are many things that we try to do to heal traumatic memories. Exposure therapy is one of those things where you sort of bring yourself into the situation and desensitize yourself to it and create an association that is not traumatic and not negative. But ultimately, these are only so effective uh, because after a certain period of time or, or when we get triggered again in stressful situations, we oftentimes come back to that original programming and reactivity. So it says one of the ways in which we can uh, heal traumatic memories is what he calls work within time intervals. So the article says like this, every time you recall a fear memory, you have an opportunity to change it by inserting new learning within 10 minutes to five hours of recollecting the memory. This process of recalling and updating a memory is called memory reconsolidation. After this five hour period, the window of opportunity to modify the memory network closes. If you've successfully inserted new information into the memory during this time frame, the memory will be saved in this updated form forever. Kind of like updating a Word document on your computer and then hitting save. If you don't insert new information during the reconsolidation time window, the memory will stay the same until you recall it again, and then you'll have a new opportunity to change it. So in my own words, the way I see, understand this is that when you have a, a flashback, then you have the ability to be non-reactive, to be with that memory, and then ultimately create a different outcome. And this could be done by imagining in your mind a different thing happening uh, or doing something different in that moment where in the old way you'd want to react a certain way, but then uh, creating sort of a new neural pathway or a new outcome uh, where you are the one in charge and where you are not powerless. This allows you to, again, renegotiate your relationship with that memory so that if you do call up that memory in the future, if it does get flashed back, you already sort of inserted new information. You have a different outcome, so then you won't react the same way that you used to because you'll have sort of a new way, a new neural pathway, a new memory created as a result. And ultimately, the article explains that you have 10 minutes to five hours. So outside of that five-hour window, you sort of missed it, but then ultimately we'll, it'll, you'll get opportunities again as, as new triggers show up. So there's no need to despair. Uh, the next uh, tip, it says, is to evoke new meaning experiences. So a new meaning experience is an experience that would cause you to feel empowered, self-compassionate, or less threatened as you recall the memory. But it's not so much about convincing yourself that a feared stimulus is no longer threatening as exposure therapy does. 
let's say if you were bitten by a dog, it's normal to feel apprehensive around dogs. The goal isn't for you to now think that dogs are no longer threatening. The goal is for you to believe that you have the skills to assess whether a dog is friendly or not, or feel that you can protect yourself and get yourself out of harm's way should a dog seem aggressive. In other words, it's about believing you have the strength and wisdom and resources you need to deal with a potentially threatening situation. The article says that if you used traditional exposure techniques to deal with your fear of dogs, uh, you would gradually work your way up to being in the presence of a dog while training yourself to be calm in those instances. Yet, we now know that instead of completely erasing your fear of dogs, this process just creates a new memory that then ultimately competes with the original memory. So you're always, in a sense, fighting with that old memory. You haven't necessarily healed it. So you end up creating one memory in which your brain learns you're safe when you're around dogs voluntarily, especially if they are friendly dogs, but it will still be primed to send you into a panic if contentious canine growls at you unexpectedly. So reconsolidation updates the original memory instead of creating two competing memories. So in this article, he brings an example. He says he has a client, Carol, right, who had an extreme fear of the ocean because she witnessed her mother almost drowning in a riptide says that this event did not stop Carol's mother from going back into the ocean after the incident. Carol's mother learned to get her body parallel to the beach and other skills to escape the riptide, so she had no ongoing fear. She even taught Carol how to escape a riptide. Yet, Carol continued to feel terrified of the ocean. So she says that Carol tried to quell her anxiety with logical reasoning and visits to the beach, but no matter how much positive self-talk and exposure therapy she tried, her mind was still haunted by the image of her mother getting swept up by the sea. Now, when we experience something shocking or traumatic, our minds tend to stop the mental movie of the memory in the worst place. Evoking a mismatch experience or new meaning experience is a way of changing the event's context and finishing the story with a new ending. He says that in the example of Carol, to create a new meaning experience for Carol, I first had to understand the implicit meaning her mind was currently attaching to the event. The implicit meaning is the felt meaning of the event. Carol logically knew her mother would survive the riptide, but on a deep level, the event caused her to feel that her mother was a vulnerable, vulnerable person who could die at any moment. Carol realized she wasn't just scared of the ocean. She's been haunted by a foreboding feeling that her mother would die suddenly. He says that Carol and I agreed that part of her brain needed to realize that her mother was strong and could survive challenging experiences. In this instance, to reconsolidate the memory, Carol was asked to recall the, the memory of her mother getting caught in the riptide. Then asked to finish the story by vividly, vividly recalling images of her mother surviving the event, acquiring the skills to manage any future rip currents and swimming comfortably to the ocean. So juxtaposing these two incidents side by side helped Carol's mind update the original memory so it became less disturbing. So in my own words, essentially what we're doing is we're allowing that experience to come into our conscious awareness, understanding the relationship we have to it, the meaning that we've created out of that experience, and ultimately renegotiating by creating a different meaning in the present moment, which allows us to, uh, to relate to it differently and ultimately heal that, heal that memory. So the final tip of this article, it says here, is to treat implicit and explicit aspects of the memory separately. So in the article's words, researchers have found you can't just update a memory by simply reasoning through it verbally. According to Joe Ledeau, an affective neuroscientist at New York University, he says that you have to treat the implicit and explicit aspects of a memory separately because they are governed by different systems in the brain. The explicit aspects of a memory include our verbal narrative and conscious thoughts about it, which are mostly governed by our logical prefrontal cortex. In contrast, the implicit aspects of a memory include the sensory, emotional, and behavioral responses that were activated during the original event, which are governed by the subcortical emotional areas of the brain. 
These implicit aspects of memory often get triggered unconsciously when a person encounters anything similar to the original event. For instance, if you had a car accident at a, at a particular intersection while it was raining, then you may feel skittish about driving in the rain. And you can feel particularly timorous when approaching the intersection where you previously had an accident. These implicit responses are meant to alert you to danger based on past experiences. You could talk back to your negative core beliefs and use positive affirmations like, I can do this, to coax yourself through the intersection. But these ver verbal affirmations won't erase the learned fear because the part of the brain that governs implicit responses does not learn through ver verbal reasoning, it learns through felt experience. Ultimately, to change a traumatic memory, you have to simultaneously invoke an experience that elicits an empowering, resourceful emotional state while recalling it, or something that counters the helpless helplessness you felt during the original event. The emotional part of your brain has to feel it to believe it. This is why in a case of his client, Carol, she had to vividly imagine her mother surviving the riptide. The emotional brain learns through imagery and sensory driven experiences. In addition, a mismatch experience must change what it felt like the event me meant about you. People aren't just troubled by fear and hypervigilance after a traumatic event. They're plagued with feelings of vulnerability, helplessness, shame, guilt, and rage. A mismatch experience is an experience that helps you realize that you didn't cause the event or somehow fail as a person in the process of trying to survive it. It helps you see the bigger picture and realize that you found yourself caught up in a no-win situation and did what you could to survive. It helps you see that in spite of the event, you acquired more strength, wisdom, power, and compassion that you can now use to make your life better. So in my own words, the explicit parts of the of the memory are not necessarily governed by the same implicit parts. Explicit parts are what happened, uh, and implicit is how you translate it, how you interpreted it. So when you go into the memory and you allow that feeling to come up, and then you imagine a different outcome, you're allowing the emotional brain to believe what happened was different than what actually happened. And then when that happens, you are renegotiated. And ultimately every time, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, every time you recall that experience, you have a different response to it because your mind relates to it differently. It almost sees the memory in a different way. And that ends the uh, article here. So when I was reading that last part, I actually got confused because it seemed like we were gaslighting ourselves, saying like, oh, that didn't happen. It actually happened differently. And I think uh, the way I understand it is, is that you're not denying what happened. You're accepting what happened and you're validating it. And then ultimately you're renegotiating how you relate to it. And that is where your power lies because ultimately you cannot change the past. But in order to move on and have a healthy future, have a peaceful life where this memory is not continuously dragging you into the past and, and re-traumatizing you every time you recall it, uh, then ultimately you're allowing it to be settled by renegotiating the relationship to it and allowing yourself to develop a peaceful relationship to that memory. And this is sort of the way to do that. So some of the closing thoughts here uh, about memories and how to heal traumatic memories. So memories serve as a sort of a backdrop for our present day relationship with ourself, with others, and with life. And this is why traumatic memories can be so debilitating because in essence, we are seeing life and we're relating to people, ourselves, and life through a distorted and negative perspective. So when we heal traumatic memories and assure that they are not, they're not still impacting our life, our perspective, our decision-making for the worse, but ultimately by working with them and then renegotiating our relationship to them, we can shift how they impact us and, and assure that they aren't, that we aren't getting stuck in that memory and that ultimately it's not pulling us back on a feedback loop, causing us to recreate that chaos in our life, uh, keeping us sort of captive and frozen in time and in the past. So the mind is, is an unbelievably powerful tool. And oftentimes we are controlled by our own mind. And when our memories haunt us and when we feel helpless to change anything about our past, uh, about how we relate to our past, in essence, our mind is telling us what to think, what to feel, and, and we, we, we sabotage. It almost becomes our own enemy. So when we work with the mind and we develop things like present moment awareness and non-reactivity and not identify with the mind, we can then work with the mind 
and uh, allow the mind to become part of the healing process by allowing us to sort of imagine different outcomes and, uh, again, have different emotional reactions to it so that when we do call it up in a flashback or in a memory, that memory is not haunting us, but rather we've made peace with it and we're able to, to truly move on. So I really hope that this podcast inspired you to take a look at some of the ways in which you relate to your memories. Do we even notice the way you react to your memories? Uh, or they become so so cemented in your life as the backdrop of your reality that uh, you don't even see it as a memory. It's just the ultimate truth. And the truth of the matter is, is what you've gone through, it is over. It is in the past. And while it's valid and extremely important to validate, uh, it's an under, in, important to understand that we always have the power to choose how that memory affects us and uh, if, if it controls us, if it sabotages us, or rather if we can go ahead and go on that healing journey, heal those traumatic memories, let them go, release them, make peace with the past, and ultimately move on with all the growth, the healing, strength, and awareness that we that we have as a result of those experiences. So thank you all very much for listening to this podcast episode today. Until next time, all the very best.